energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite team. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it on a very snowy Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hope everybody is driving safe. Hope everybody has gotten home safe. Hope everybody has heat and power. Hope all of you are okay. We are okay here in the Radio Vermont studios, and we'll bring you the Brady Farkas Show for the next 90 minutes. We go up until 7 o'clock before we kick it on over to Jazz with George Thomas, and we do have plenty to get to today. A couple of two-guest shows for the rest of the week, maybe, or well, at least until Friday, I think. We'll get you ready for the UVM men and women's basketball teams and their games in the NCAA tournament. At 545, we've got a conversation with Will Brown. You know Will Brown, the former Albany men's basketball coach, took the Great Danes to five NCAA tournaments. He's coached against Vermont, so he helps us get ready for UVM and Marquette. And then at 630, we're going to talk with UVM women's basketball standout Emma Utterback, named the most outstanding player of the conference tournament. And then, of course, we'll talk about the moves around the NFL as well. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And the show brought to you, as always, by Fecto Homes. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The New England Patriots have lost Jacoby Myers to the Las Vegas Raiders. Myers leaves New England and signs a three-year deal worth $33 million. A three-year deal, $33 million. I have to tell you, I am often disappointed in the moves that the Patriots do or don't make. Today, I am just flat out livid that this has happened. I am admittedly, I'm thinking with both my head and my heart, but admittedly, my heart is talking pretty loudly today. I love watching Jacoby Myers play football, and I loved watching him play football with the New England Patriots. Without a doubt, he has been my favorite Patriot over the last few years. I loved Cam Newton. I really love Jacoby Myers. I love everything that he brought to this team. Jacoby Myers was productive. Jacoby Myers was tough. Jacoby Myers got first downs. Jacoby Myers made contested catches in the middle of the field. He was a dependable target. He hardly ever dropped passes. This year, he morphed into more of a red zone threat and scored more touchdowns. He had six of those this season. He was a great out-of-nowhere story who worked his way up from an undrafted free agent to a valued contributor. I love the player, I love the story, I love the person, and I hate that he's not going to be here moving forward. 
I mean, Jacoby Myers is everything the New England Patriots should want, and I am peeved to see him go, and I am peeved that they have let him go like this. Jacoby Myers is a self-made, really good wide receiver in this league. He started from the bottom, he grinded, and he worked his way up to the top through a whole lot of grief for the organization. The Patriots need more players like this, more players with his mindset, not less. A player who came from nothing, who put his head down, and just worked hard. Tom Brady, Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, Bailey Zappi, it doesn't matter who the quarterback was, you never heard a peep from Jacoby Myers. Until the very end of this year, when things got so bad offensively, you didn't hear a word from Jacoby Myers. He never complained. He was a very good player. He was a very productive player. He was developing into a good leader. And the Patriots just let him walk. And here's the thing. The Patriots did not need to let him walk. This didn't need to happen. We talked last week about Jacoby Myers deserving the bag and potentially getting a huge contract. Well, he got $11 million a year. That's not $15 million a year. That's not $17 million a year. That is completely affordable, completely justifiable, and the Patriots didn't do it. We talked about Jacoby Myers maybe getting $60 million. He got $33, and the Patriots didn't do it. And when you really dig down into the bedrock of this deal, it's essentially a year-to-year -year proposition for the Raiders. You're telling me the Patriots couldn't do that too? The same New England Patriots that gave Jonu Smith what amounted to $27 million for 54 catches couldn't give Jacoby Myers a year-to-year -year deal? The same New England Patriots that gave Nelson Aguilar $21 million guaranteed two years ago couldn't give Jacoby Myers an $11 million a year deal, really only one of which is, is assured? I can't comprehend this. The New England Patriots are already at a talent deficit in the AFC, and that talent deficit just got worse. That talent deficit just grew. You pay Jonu Smith a gazillion dollars. You pay Nelson Aguilar a lot of money. You paid Kendrick Bourne more you can't match this for Jacoby Myers, a guy who wanted to stay. This is an affordable deal. This isn't four years for $64 million. This isn't five for 80. This is three for 33, which really amounts to one for 11, and you couldn't do it. I do not get this. This irks me and this bothers me. Jacoby Myers is a good player, and the Patriots don't have enough good players. The AFC is loaded. It was loaded last year. It's going to be loaded this year. Okay, The teams that were good last year still profile to be good. Miami's going to be better. The Jets, once they eventually get Aaron Rodgers, they'll be better. Denver has, a, has Sean Payton as their head coach and has totally reworked their offensive line. They can't be much worse. So Jacksonville's only going to grow. This thing is going to get really hard to compete in, and the Patriots today are worse than they were yesterday, and that frustrates the hell out of me. 
Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Joe says Myers is a big loss for the Pats. Max, Mac needs people to throw to. Um, with Smith leaving and Myers gone, now this is this is a big loss. The Pats are asleep right now. Let's wake up. Paul over in Heinsberg, though, disagrees with me. He says, I'm good with moving on and spending the money elsewhere on a true number one. Myers is a solid wide receiver, but he's not a game changer. He never sniffed a 1,000 yards and famously never scores touchdowns. It's time for a complete Patriots wide receiver overhaul. Well, Paul, Jacoby Myers had six touchdowns this year. For a team that couldn't do anything in the red zone, for a team that didn't have a, a competent play caller, and for a quarterback in Mac who didn't play really well, having six touchdowns is a pretty good accomplishment. So let's not say he can't score a touchdown. Secondly, I know that Jacoby Myers is not a true number one receiver. The problem is the Patriots needed Jacoby Myers, and they still needed that number one receiver. So if you think Jacoby Myers is a two or a three, well, now the Patriots need a one. And they need a two or a three. At least if they had kept Myers, they would have had a really good two or three and then only needed the one. Now you have multiple wide receiver positions to fill, and I don't see them out there rushing to do it. The Patriots have three wide receivers right now. The off-injured Devontae Parker, the the in-the-doghouse last season Kendrick Bourne, and the injured Tyquan Thornton from a year ago. Those are their three wide receivers. You were already short at wide out. Now you're extra short. The Patriots need to be acquiring good players, and instead they are losing them. That's not a good scenario. This is not a good position to be in. Oh, but Brady, what if the Patriots trade for DeAndre Hopkins? Oh, but Brady, what if they sign Odell Beckham Jr.? Oh, but Brady, what if they do both of those things? Brady, what if they draft a receiver at number 14? What if, what if, what if? If the Patriots do those things, then we'll judge them then. But the show is today. And today, the Patriots got worse. And that today is what mattered. Yeah, they may draft a stud, and I might feel differently in May. But I don't get to wait until May to judge what this team is doing. I have to judge what they're doing today. And today they're getting worse. They got worse last week when Devin McCourty was gone. They stayed the same yesterday when Jonathan Jones signed. And they got worse today by losing Jacoby Myers. This is a big loss. Healthy, productive, middle of the field, Tough yards, first down machine, short yardage. Jacoby Myers was a technician route runner. And the Patriots now are once again losing talent. In a conference, in a division that is constantly gaining talent, the Patriots are losing it. That is frustrating to me. And it should be frustrating to you as well. We got a text in on YouTube says, good morning, host from Indonesia. I wonder if they're Patriots fans in Indonesia or is some robot uh, commenting to us. I don't know. Maybe they're mad in Indonesia about Jacoby Myers leaving. I'm mad enough for the entire world if they're not mad. But, I mean, my God, this is just so vexing. Look around at what's happening. 
Broncos got better. Chiefs won the Super Bowl, added offensive linemen. They got better. I mean, Denver got better. Cleveland's done some things that I think they're supposed to be think, you know, being thought of as having gotten better. Miami got better. The Jets, without Aaron Rodgers, nonetheless, they got Alan Lazard. I mean, they've gotten a little bit better, and when they get Aaron Rodgers, they'll get a lot better. Buffalo was already good. Since he was already good. The Patriots are getting worse. And as we talked about yesterday, there's very few teams you would sit and think, oh, the Patriots are better than them. The Patriots right now, I think, are better than Houston. Oh, Vegas got better. They get Myers. Jimmy G, at least, is not a huge drop-off from Carr. They traded Darren Waller. Texter says, what do you think of Waller to the Giants? We're going to get to that in the 6 o'clock hour, kind of wrapping up some of the moves that have been made around the NFL. But who can I confidently say the Patriots are better than right now? They're better than Indy. They're better than Houston. I think they're better than Pittsburgh, but it's close. And that's it. Tennessee, maybe. That's it. They might be better than three or four teams. They are 11th or 12th in the conference. That's not where I want to be. You got to be in the top seven to make the playoffs. I can't be 11 or 12. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I want to transition our coverage now to the UVM men's basketball team. The Catamounts are taking on Marquette. That game is going to be on Friday afternoon, 245, nationally televised on CBS, so you can watch it at home. We'll be watching it here in the studio as well. Certainly an uphill battle for the Cats. They're the 15 seed. Marquette is the two. I see some people predicting Marquette as a team that can go to the Final Four, so it is not going to be easy for John Becker and company. But if there's somebody who knows about these kind of matchups, it's the guy who's calling in right now. Let's go out to the phone line and bring on my friend, Will Brown. Will Brown, the former head basketball coach at UAlbany. He took the Great Danes to several NCAA tournaments and kept a number of matchups just like this very, very close. He's the guy to give us the perspective. Coach Brown on the phone with us now. Will, thank you very much for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, it's good to talk with you. It's been a little while. I got to tell you, seven years ago when I got here, you were the most hated man in town. A couple of years not at UAlbany, and you are just absence makes the heart grow fonder. People love you here, and they wish you were still coaching in the league. (laughs) Well, I will tell you this. Uh, I always had a great appreciation for the fan base in Burlington and how they supported that program. and it was the most difficult place uh, to coach in. Uh, my former assistant and player, John Yachty, is an assistant at UMass Lowell. All right. And I, I talked to him briefly before the championship game. And I said to him, I said, if anybody knows what it's like to play a big game in that environment, it's you. I said, so you need to relay that message without scaring your players and, uh, you know, go up there and just have some fun with it. But, you know, again, Vermont was just uh, just too good. You know, let's talk a little bit about the preparation process. You were a low seed in the tournament multiple times and kept games very, very close with higher seeds. Number one seed at UConn one year, Florida one year. UVM is clearly going to be the underdog, you know, 11 points or so. They're out 
outsized and outgunned against Marquette as you're going through the week of preparation? What are the keys? You know, we, we played in five of these games, and four of them were really close. I think the biggest key is the players are going to be so excited to play in this game, and you can't allow that nervous energy to hurt you early in this game against a higher-level team that is supposed to be uh, bigger, quicker, more athletic, more talented, and everybody, as is, has you as the underdog. So I would always tell our players, you know, it's real simple. This is just another game. We need to do what we do because it's been successful all season long. Yes, you want to enjoy the moment. You want to embrace it. But nobody expects us to win this game, not even your friends, your girlfriend, your parents. I mean, so let's have an awful lot of fun, but let's do what we do. We're one of 68 teams. We belong. We're really good. Every team in this tournament is really good. We just need to be the best team for 40 minutes on one day. And Vermont, there's an expectation there. It's to win. It's not to just compete or to get to the NCAA tournament. I think there's an expectation there that's been created because of all of the success. And John Becker's done a great job. He's a defensive minded coach and that bodes well in the tournament and you know I expect Vermont to play really well Uh, they're an older veteran experienced team I think you have to rely on those guys in these type of situations so I don't think they're going to be rattled the problem is they're playing a team who's had a lot of success this year but they're, Marquette is playing with a huge chip on their shoulder because I think they feel that they've been underrated, underappreciated, and disrespected all season long because nobody's talked about Marquette. You know, talk to me a little bit about style of play once you get into the games. I remember your teams at Albany did a great job at dictating pace and really slowing the pace down against some of these teams. UVM in the past has been content to shoot a bunch of threes and play up-tempo in these matchups. How do you kind of go about trying to pick your pace and then dictate it? Well, uh, I do think, you know, keys to these type of games are you can't turn the ball over. And Vermont, uh, according to Synergy, is the number one team in the country in turnover percentage, meaning fewest. So uh, they're getting a shot every possession. So that's huge. You have to make threes. Um, That's the great equalizer. I do think, in my honest opinion, Vermont's got to make 10 threes or more in this game. Uh, Do you have that dude? A guy that, you know, when Marquette comes out and Shaka Smart is on the sideline in a defensive stance, sliding up and down the sideline, yelling and screaming at his team. Um, Do you have a dude when they take you out of your offensive sets or actions that can make individual one-on-one plays that can get the ball in the paint and force the defense to rotate? Um, And then also, you have to hope that the team you're playing has somewhat of an off night. Uh, that's just the reality of the situation. Now, this Vermont team, in my opinion, again, um, you asked me to come on and give you an evaluation uh, of both teams in this game, so hopefully the Vermont faithful doesn't get mad at me for this. Uh, this Vermont team, to me, is different, 
offensively. Uh, they don't have the guy that you can throw the ball into mm-hmm. the low post that can get a front court in foul trouble, get you to the free throw line, get some easy points. They don't have a Ryan Davis or Mar- uh, Marcus Blakely. They don't have that type of guy. Uh, and then the other thing is I'm not sure they have enough guys that can make individual one-on-one plays. What I really like about this Vermont team is that they've won collectively as a team. Different guys have stepped up uh, at different times. I mean, look at the shots Barreto hit uh, to really open up that game from three uh, the other day against Lowell. Then you have games where Deloney comes in and really gets going from uh, behind the three-point line and, and just puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Uh, The concern I have is is those two. Can they make enough threes, and can they break Marquette's defense down off the dribble? Uh, And then the other thing is, is what are they going to do defensively? Because there's going to be a mismatch either on the perimeter or in the front court that's going to favor Marquette. Will John take Robin Duncan and put him on Marquette's power forward? Or will he turn around and put him on Tyler Kolick, who's one of the best players in the country, and say, you know what? Uh, You make the engine go. We're going to try to take you out of the game because I do believe that Duncan's as good as any defender around. I know Sullivan's a really good defender as well. It's just that, you know, there's going to be an issue somewhere. And foul trouble is another thing. I know Vermont doesn't play Barreto and Fiorello together. I know Fiorello hasn't played much this season, but I don't think they've played them much together. Uh, And when you play the big boys, you know, that's something you might have to consider doing just for rebounding physicality. I know that's not the way Vermont plays. So I think Vermont's going to go out again and try to limit the amount of possessions in the game this year in particular. You know, last year, Shungu can get in the lane and make plays and hit threes. You had Ryan Davis, who was a matchup problem inside, outside. I think this is going to be a possession by possession game. I think their best chance is to limit the amount of possessions uh, in the game. But I think they're playing an angry team right now. I mean, I watched Marquette, who was one of the best offensive teams in the country. They space you out. Their ball screen offense is terrific. Backcourt, one of the best in the country in Colick and Jones. Uh, They're so difficult to guard. So I think John probably loves this because it's going to test his defense and he's a defensive guy. And, you know, so I think Vermont's strength is their defense. So this will be interesting. Uh, But I do think Marquette, man, uh, nobody's talking about him. I watched them. It was basically a home game in Madison Square Garden, a home game for UConn in the Big East Championship game. And there's people that are talking about UConn Final Four national title. Nobody's talking about Marquette. You know, they held um, the backcourt of UConn to, I think, like two for 22 shooting from the perimeter. But Marquette on the year has just been an average defensive team. They're all about ball pressure. They're going to crawl into the Vermont guards, make them put it on the floor. Shaka is basically the sixth man. He's on the court playing defense. Uh, So they play with great energy great passion and when you have a tremendous backcourt you can win a lot of games in the uh, NCAA tournament 
Will Brown, former U Albany basketball coach with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Went to five NCAA tournaments. Will, I appreciate you doing this. I had so much insight. I think you were on the uh, UVM bench here coaching this team because you uh, are very in tune with what the Catamounts are. I want to get you out of here on kind of a bigger picture question. And it's a bit apples and oranges because the transfer portal wasn't as popular, wasn't around really, you know, seven years ago or whatever. But, you know, I think you guys won either two or three consecutive America East titles. And you had a bunch of trans- we won three. I'll Did- say three. Yeah, just three. so the Vermont people can get mad at me. <laughs> yeah. You had you had a good contribution from transfers, right? Evan Singletary and uh, and and Sanders, and you also had homegrown players. But you had a bunch of transfers that were helping. And UVM right now is kind of built on the transfer portal. You look around their starting rotation, and it's a bunch of grad transfers and a bunch of guys who have entered the program. My fear, or my the only fear I have, is that. That's really hard to replicate. Now we're talking about less homegrown players, less four-year players, and more dependent on the transfer portal. How hard is it to keep that going versus having it eventually dry up on you? Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's a great question. One of the best things Vermont has done for years is they've brought in young kids who have waited their turn for the most part and they've developed over a four-year period. And I'm not saying that they can't continue to do that, but it's very difficult. I've, I never had a chance to use the transfer portal yeah, because right. my last year at Albany, you know, that spring is when the portal went into effect. When I lost in 17-18, we won 23 games. We, we got upset in the conference tournament. I thought the following year, 18-19, we would have been 1A and 1B with Vermont, and then Nichols and Cremo decide to transfer to high-level programs and as grad transfers, and if I had access to the transfer portal, I'm not saying we would have easily replaced those two, but we would have had a much better chance of getting two players that could contribute to winning right away and, you know, two talented players that can help us win a lot of games. So uh, the problem now is uh, these kids, if you get a young kid that plays a lot right away, and is a rookie of the year type guy, the chances of you having him for more than one year, two at the most, you know, that's just uh, my feeling on it right now. The key in college basketball uh, and look at Vermont's roster right now is get old and stay old. Will Brown, former UAlbany men's basketball coach, five trips to the NCAA tournament, kept several of these first-round matchups close. We'll hope that UVM can Keep it close with 10 minutes to play or so against Marquette on Friday afternoon. Will, man, it was great to catch up with you. I appreciate the insight and perspective, and uh, we'll talk again at some point soon, I'm sure. Well, I appreciate you having me. Please tell John I said hello and Tom Brennan as well. And now that I'm not coaching in the America East Conference, I'm, you know, uh, even when I was coaching, as long as we weren't playing Vermont, I was always rooting for them. So I'm hoping they can play well and find a way to beat Marquette. Well, we'll hope for a little St. Peter's-style story out of the Catamounts. Will, thank you. You got it. Anytime. Oh, Will Brown is just the best. Someone who was excellent to me at the beginning of my career and a lot of great insight there. Again, he's done this five times, right? He's been a 16 seed. He's been a 13 seed. He's been a 14 seed, I think. Like, he has been to the tournament five times. He knows about how to prepare. He knows how to, about how to battle. He knows about how to keep a game close. And then, ultimately, what needs to go your way in order to try to pull it out, even though, you know, his teams never were able to do it. He certainly was this close 
multiple times. A lot of good stuff there from Will Brown. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. We're going to recap some of what Will had to talk about in the uh, the beginning of the next hour after CBS News. Texter says, Brady, if you want to start a text storm, uh, I dare you to talk about the Mid-Vermont Christian story. We talked about the Mid-Vermont Christian story a little bit yesterday. Um, I am not going to talk about whether or not I believe that, you know, biological women's teams should be playing against transgender teams. I'm not going to do that. I'm also not going to judge the VPA's decision. The thing that I want to, to ban them from athletics. The thing that I want to know is this. As I said yesterday, I want to know who at Mid-Vermont Christian exactly is against or was against playing against Long Trail School who had a transgender player because I feel bad for future athletes that are now going to be banned, that are now going to not be able to compete in VPA sports. I feel bad for future athletes that have had that taken from them, and I just want to know, is it everybody who was against playing long trail? Is it one person who was against playing long trail? Because if everybody's punished for the decision of one or the feeling of one, then I'd have a problem with that. I also am curious, just curious, about what this will do to long trail school or uh, to a mid-Vermont Christian financially. I have no idea what it costs to go there, but it's a private school, so it's got to cost something. How many kids are now not going to go there because they can't play sports? Is it two kids? Is it five kids? Is it zero kids? Is it 10 kids? And then how much does that cost the school financially in tuition dollars? And what does that do to the school? Those are my questions right now. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're going to recap what Will Brown had to say about UVM and Marquette. We're going to do it next here on DEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Will Brown, former UAlbany men's basketball coach, for stopping by. Texter says, great interview. Can UVM shoot enough threes to win? We will talk about that in a second. We are in the process of cutting up all the Will Brown sound that we can get to that quickly. I do want to just quickly break down a couple of big moves that have happened here on the NFL front within the last few hours. One, I just had to run across the whole studio in that commercial break and to get back here in time, I am dying all of a sudden. Okay, now we're ready. Big NFL news over the last couple of hours to the last couple of minutes. One, in no particular order, the Colts are cutting quarterback Matt Ryan, which is not to be unexpected, but it is now going to be official. The Colts have also traded defensive back and former Patriots Stephon Gilmore to... The Dallas Cowboys. That is a huge move for Dallas. Right? That gives them, now on defense, Micah Parsons, Trevon Diggs, and Stephon Gilmore. Gilmore is still a very good defensive back. Diggs is a little bit boomer bust, but is an excellent playmaker. So now you start talking about Dallas building again that defense back up and getting it to a point where it can be more of a factor for them. So, 
Dallas gets better. The Colts sell off a couple pieces. Speaking of defense, James Bradbury is back with the Eagles, the defensive back. He's on a three-year deal. Rashad Penny goes to the Eagles as well, speaking of him. Now, Rashad Penny is a former first-round pick of the Seahawks at running back. He is often injured, right? He's torn his ACL, had an awful ankle injury last year. But when he plays, he averages nearly seven yards a carry. Behind that offensive line, the Eagles' running game just got better. If he's healthy, they Penny can be excellent in that scheme, in that system, with Jalen Hurts, with his running ability, etc. So that's good. We know about Jacoby Myers. He goes to the Raiders. Darren Waller gets traded from the Raiders to the New York Giants. That's a big move. right? That's a great move, I think, for Joe Shane and company. It's a four-year deal still for Waller, but he's essentially only got kind of a one-year, year-to-year thing going on, so fairly easy for the Giants to get out of that deal if they want to. Waller's been injured a bunch the last couple of years, but in 2019 and 20, he was phenomenal. The Giants have no talent on offense outside of Saquon Barkley, so now they go get Daniel Jones another piece. They go get him a playmaker at tight end who kind of functions really as a receiver. They're going to bring back Sterling Shepard, I think. We have no idea what he's going to be after all the injuries. But nonetheless, the Giants are making moves to keep pace, right? The NFC East is a very competitive division. You might not believe in Dallas in the playoffs, but they are a very good roster and therefore a very good regular season team. So Dallas is good. Eagles got to the Super Bowl. They've lost a lot on defense already in the last 24 hours, but they still should be pretty good. Washington needs to figure out the quarterback situation, but you like some of their pieces on that roster, and then the Giants go and make that move as well. Uh, Andy Dalton's going to sign with the Panthers. We'll see if he ends up being a starter there or if they just start. Like, the Panthers have the number one pick. They're going to take a quarterback. The question is, is that quarterback going to start on day one, or is Dalton going to be the bridge and mentor who plays the first five or six weeks before we turn it on over to either Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, or Anthony Richardson? Don't know yet. But there's a lot happening in the NFL right now. Seahawks went and got a good defensive tackle uh, yesterday from Denver. So, you know, a lot of things happening. Let's see if there's anything else that I didn't mention here. Um, Andy Dalton, it's a two-year, $10 million deal. So there's that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers still has not figured out what he's going to do, or at least hasn't announced it. He's going to probably make that announcement tomorrow on the Pat McAfee show. Hopefully, mercifully, we can get that deal out there so we can finally know. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, good defensive tackle. He's going to the Steelers again, three-year, $28.5 million. Um, Oh, Emmanuel Mosley, the 49ers DB, signs a one-year deal with the Lions. Good move for them. Jeff Wilson, the running back, goes back to the Dolphins on a two-year deal. And... uh, Oh, the Jets are doing all the things to make Aaron Rodgers happy, even though Aaron Rodgers is not actually on the team yet. So uh, they have signed Alan Lazard. They are interested in Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, all the guys that uh, Aaron Rodgers wants on the team. So a lot of stuff going on there. So uh, in the end, the Patriots really are doing nothing, right? The Patriots are doing nothing. The Patriots wouldn't got an offensive lineman today, kind of swing guy, potential starter, but – you know, also potential depth piece. So uh, they get him from Denver, and his name is escaping me at the moment. It is uh, Calvin Anderson. So there you go, Calvin Anderson. So it's a two-year deal there. 
could play right tackle potentially, and uh, also his play left tackle also. See what happens with Trent Brown. Isaiah wins a free agent. So there we are with the Pats. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We just spoke to Will Brown, the former UAlbany men's basketball coach, and we talked with him about how to prepare for the NCAA tournament as UVM gets ready to take on uh, Marquette on Friday. We talked about a lot of different things. I encourage you, if you missed the interview, to go check it out on our podcast channel, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. All right, we got a lot of things from Will. We've already done a great job at getting them cut up, so let's just go with this one. One of Will's keys to the game is this. The biggest key is the players are going to be so excited to play in this game. And you can't allow that nervous energy to hurt you early in this game against a higher level team that is supposed to be uh, bigger, quicker, more athletic, more talented, and everybody as is has you as the underdog. Yeah, UVM cannot get blown out early, right? You talk about the energy. Will says can't have the energy, lose it, work against you, dribble it off your foot, turn it over, miss a bunch of shots, commit early fouls because you're just too hyped up. UVM cannot be blown out early. Now, Will Brown knows about these matchups, right? He went to five NCAA tournaments. He, he almost beat number one-seeded Connecticut. He was up with on Connecticut with, you know, with six minutes to play at UAlbany. Almost beat top-seeded Florida. Both of those teams were the top teams in the entire tournament. He almost beat both of them. So he knows something about this, right? You go into the game, all the pressure is on the higher-seeded team. All the pressure in this game is on Marquette. So Marquette, I think, comes out, and they are to try to overwhelm you athletically, right? Marquette comes out. They're probably going to press. They're probably going to play fast. They're going to get up and down the court. They're probably going to try to get up 10 to nothing and then just roll you from there. But if you are UVM, and to Will's point, you can avoid that happening, then now the pressure starts to switch to them because everybody now is starting to get a little more tense. Everybody's starting to wait for you to flip the switch. If we go to the first media timeout and it's 7-5 Vermont, if we get to the 10-minute mark of the first half and it's 16-13 Vermont, if we get to halftime and it's 31-28, the pressure switches to Marquette, right? If UVM can avoid getting blown out early, can avoid that initial onslaught, then the pressure goes solely even more so on Marquette because they're thinking, all right, these guys are not going away. We can't be the team that has the embarrassing upset this year. So for Vermont, hold your ground early. Stay in the game. Make them uncomfortable, and then you never know what can happen. I am not picking UVM. I am picking Marquette. It it is a clear mismatch in terms of talent ability. That said, Florida Gulf Coast went to the Sweet 16 as a 15. St. Peter's last year went to the Elite Eight as a 15. I've seen Hampton win as a 15 seed. So it does happen. It can be done. And one of the ways it is done is the is the little guy doesn't get run out of the gym in the first eight minutes of the game, and then the big guy gets nervous. So to Will Brown's point, don't come out. Don't be so amped up that you start making mistakes. You've got to stay 
within yourself. Will Brown also said this. Well, uh, I do think, you know, keys to these type of games are you can't turn the ball over. And Vermont, uh, according to Synergy, is the number one team in the country in turnover percentage, meaning fewest. So uh, they're getting a shot every possession. So that's huge. You have to make threes. Um, that's the great equalizer. I do think, in my honest opinion, Vermont's got to make 10 threes or more in this game. All right. So that is that whole soundbite there is crucial. One. To Will Brown's point, you can't turn the ball over. Not only can you not turn the ball over early and get right out of the gym, you really can't afford to turn the ball over at all. Will has the stats to prove Vermont is the best in the country at not turning the ball over. You have to keep that up. You cannot give away possessions in this matchup, right? You have to be able, to Will's point, you have to be able to get a shot every time down the court, right? You don't have to make every single shot. But you have to get a shot. You, we, we can't look at this at the end of the game and see that Vermont has had 18 less shots than Marquette. You will never win a game that way. You have to have a shot every time down the court. And if you do that, you invariably will have more shots go up, more chances to have shots made, more chance to get to the free throw line, more second chance opportunities. If you get a shot every time down the floor, you have the optimum chance for success. Secondly, so UVM, I think, needs to be diligent with the ball, but they also then you're at a fine balance. You can't be too careful either. I don't want to see this team, you know, run into traffic and try to go one on three. But you also need to, don't need to pull out every single time you have the ball and play in the half court and let this team get set up defensively. So it is going to be a balancing act there with how UVM does it. But you can't be careless, but you can't be too careful either. The three-point shooting thing is, I think Will Brown is dead on on. I think you're going to see UVM fire up the threes in this one. Like, don't be surprised if UVM shoots 33s in this matchup, right? I think they're going to shoot. Th- they, they, they very well might shoot 33s. They shot 32 as a team a couple of years ago against Florida State. So we have seen this team's strategy in the, in the tournament against big dogs be, let's just hoist them from three and see what happens. My question for UVM this year is, who's going to take 33s? Because UVM does not have a ton of, of knockdown three-point shooters. Veretto's a three-point shooter. He's going to have to take and make a bunch. Deloney's a three-point shooter. He's going to have to take and make a bunch. And Sullivan's a three-point shooter. He's going to have to take and make a bunch. But are those guys going to shoot 10 threes apiece? I would say probably not. So where are the other threes coming from? If those guys each shoot five or six, we're still 12 threes short of 30. Fiorillo off the bench takes a few. Hurley off the bench takes a few. Penn takes two or three. I mean, Dylan Penn can't have eight threes in this game. That's not his game. Robin Duncan can't take eight threes. That's not his game. So, Veretto, Sullivan, and and Deloney, I would say it's it's heave away from deep for you. And then the other guy, Penn's got to take a few. But then Hurley's got to take a few. Fiorillo's got to take a few. You got to get a couple off your bench. You got to get a couple of threes out of your bench. And then finally, 
Will Brown said this. I don't know if we have the cut yet. Oh, we do, everybody. Great job working behind the scenes. Will Brown said UVM cannot afford to get in foul trouble, and he's absolutely right. Foul trouble is another thing. Cause I know Vermont doesn't play Barreto and Fiorello together. I know Fiorello hasn't played much this season, but I don't think they've played them much together. Uh, and when you play the big boys, you know, that's something you might have to consider doing just for rebounding, physicality. Yeah, always a concern when you're in these matchups. When you are trying to pull an upset, you cannot get in foul trouble. And Will Brown is right. UVM is not particularly deep. They will play nine guys, but they can ill afford to get their top six in foul trouble. Hurley's going to come in. Fiorillo's going to come in. Iofalia is going to come in. And they're all going to play, and they're all going to be asked to contribute. But your top six, they've got to be on the court the majority of the game. Right? You've got to be able to count on Duncan to play defense and rebound and be a good passer. You've got to count on Penn getting you 15 to 25 points. You can only do that if you're on the floor and available. you got to count on Finn Sullivan getting you 12 to 20 points. you got to count on uh, Deloney coming off the bench and giving you 14 points. You've got to be able to get 10 to 15 from Verreto. You can only achieve all of that if these guys are on the floor. Right, The bench guys are excellent players. They work their tail off. They provide real value. They're not going to be able to put up 15 against Marquette. Outside of Deloney, no one on that bench is going to be able to do that. Right, They're just not. Maybe next year, but not this year. They're not ready yet. So if you are Vermont, look, it, it's to me, it's always the same formula. If you're trying to pull an upset, if you're trying to pull a massive upset, here, here's the formula. One, your stars have to play like stars. I say that all the time. Penn, 15 to 25. It is a must if you're going to beat Marquette. Sullivan, 12 to 20. It's a must. He's the player of the year in the conference. It is a must. Deloney off the bench, 10 to 15. It's a must. Veretto, 10 to 15. It's a must. Your stars have to play like stars. And then... You also have to get something that you weren't necessarily expecting. Robin Duncan giving you eight instead of four. Hurley off the bench giving you six instead of zero. Fiorillo off the bench giving you six instead of two. You have to get something from somebody else if you're going to pull an upset. And then you go on down the checklist. You can't get in foul trouble for all the reasons we just said. You've got to take and make threes, as we said. You've got to get to the free throw line and hit your free throws. And then you can't get pounded on the glass. Those are all the things that need to happen if you're going to pull a massive upset. And that's what this would be. Is it likely to happen? No. Can it happen? Yes. A 15 seed got to the Elite Eight last year. So it can happen. We can see this. But there's a whole lot that has to go right, and we're going to talk more about this matchup as we move on through the week. Next, uh, starting tomorrow, we're going to start to do a deep dive on Marquette. Gabe Neitzel of Marquette's radio network is going to be with us tomorrow at uh, 545. I don't think we're going to have TC live tomorrow or Freddie Coleman. I think I'm going to talk about have both those interviews uh, be put up on the podcast channel. I'm going to talk to both TC and Freddie, but I think we're going to put them up 
on the podcast channel. So if you have any comments on UVM, you can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. We're going to talk with uh, Emma Utterback of the UVM women's team. We're going to do that in about 10 minutes. But before we do, I want to get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? What is he doing? He's stealing money. What the hell is he doing? He should have gotten his surgery. They were out of it in August. Why did they get the surgery done in August? They could have played beginning of the year. Preach it. That's a joke with him. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's saying what here on this Tuesday? Celtics suffered just a bad loss yesterday, right? And we've seen this a couple of times lately, but this was a bad loss against a bad team, getting beat by Houston. Houston's one of the worst teams in the NBA. There's only like four teams out of the playoff race in the NBA, and Houston is one of them. They are among the worst teams in the league, and the Celtics lose by two. After the game, These comments from Jalen Brown bugged me a little bit. Listen to what Jalen Brown says. Jalen Brown was asked, what do you need to do to avoid lapses, slip-ups, losses like this? Um, I just think, one, we need to continue to build the camaraderie, the the trust uh, as a team. You know, the little stuff goes a long way, picking each other guys up when they fall. Um, You know, when you come out of the game, you know, dapping everybody up, making sure you get everybody's hand, um, cheering for your teammates, just bringing energy, having fun with the game. That's, I think, is one thing that I want to continue to build. That bothers me. It doesn't outrage me. It doesn't, It, but it, I'm not at a 100 on this comment. I'm at about a 50. So I'm bothered by it, but not enraged. Now, the comments sound... Innocent enough, right? But listen to Jalen Brown again right here, right at the beginning. Um, I just think, one, we need to continue to build the camaraderie, the, the trust. Right there. We're 65 games into the season. We're 65 games into the season. We shouldn't have to build camaraderie and trust anymore. We're 69 games into the season for the Celtics. You should know at this point who your team is. And you should know who your teammates are. And I get it. Jalen Brown is probably saying is is probably saying a safe thing. I am probably reading more into it. But that comment bothered me because I'm thinking, man, we are the playoffs start in a month. We shouldn't be building trust anymore. We shouldn't be building camaraderie. We should have it. It should be there. It should be present. It should be effervescent. And is Jalen Brown telling us that it's not? Or is he just saying some safe, cliche, throwaway line? Maybe it is just that. But I look at this and I say, leader of the team says we need to keep building. I don't want to keep building. It's like a relationship, right? You've been married for five years. At that point, do you really need to keep building? Or do you just need to maintain and not do something to screw it up? Right? Like, should you have to keep building? This team should have an idea 
of who it is and what it's about at this point. 802-585-3026. You can tell me maybe I am overreacting, but I was fuming after that loss yesterday. I mean, you lose to the Rockets, and that is just like, that is as bad as it gets in this year's NBA. I know you were on the road, but my goodness, the Rockets are the worst team they are the second worst team in the NBA, and they are the worst team in the Western Conference. They are one of only three teams to officially be eliminated from the playoffs. They have the fewest wins in the NBA, and they are a half game ahead of Detroit for the worst record in the NBA. Bad loss on the road. You only scored 111. I think you allowed 113. It was ugly. And then at the end of the game, you know, the last eight minutes, Houston goes out and hits you know, three threes in a row, three threes, uh, 111 to 109, three threes in as many possessions. And the Celtics go from a close game to all of a sudden down 10 again. And that was that. And yeah, they had a chance to tie it at the end and Tatum missed a tough layup. It wasn't a gimme layup, but yeah, Tatum missed a shot. Bothersome. And then Jalen Brown comes out after and says, we need to continue to build. I don't want to be building. I want to just know. If I've been married for three years, I don't want to have to be working on everything. I want it to just be seamless. And I get it. A relationship is always work. I get that. But you always have to kind of massage it. But it shouldn't be being built. It should be able to sustain itself. Tex says, good Lord, at this time in the season, uh, this should be a must. Belichick says... Uh, we'll figure out who we are at Thanksgiving. I've never understood that. Yeah, I, I don't really love that either, by the way. People have always – like, now I can believe when people say the NFL season starts to matter at, at Thanksgiving. That's true. But as far as figuring out who your team is, you should have a, you know an idea at least of what you want to be coming out of, of training camp. Now, maybe you have to morph. Maybe someone gets injured and now you have to change it up. You have to adjust. But this idea of just figuring out who we are – at Thanksgiving, I, I don't like that either, to be perfectly honest with you. It is the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The UVM women's basketball team is also headed to the NCAA tournament. They're going to take on perennial power UConn, the most decorated program in the history of women's college basketball. Tennessee and LSU are certainly up there as well, but UConn is the preeminent program. That game is going to be Saturday at 3. How did the Cats handle that matchup? Their leader, their star, Emma Utterback, going to be with us next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DED. Opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on this Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Continuing our countdown to... March Madness, and today we're focusing on the UVM women's basketball team. Catamounts taking on UConn out of the Big East Conference. That game is going to be Saturday at 3, and joining me now is Emma Utterback, one of the captains and leaders of the UVM women's basketball team, named the most outstanding player of the America East Conference Championship game. Emma, congratulations on the success. Thanks for being with us. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. As I say that, as you hear that, Vermont taking on <laughs> UConn. What's going through your mind? Um, 
it's still surreal for me. I don't think it's hit me yet. I think it's going to hit me once we get to the gym. But um, I've been watching UConn and, G and Coach Gino since I was a kid. And so uh, it's really surreal. Like, I think I'm going to be like, there's no way this is happening. But it's the most uh, amazing experience, and I'm so excited. How do you go about not being a little awestruck? Mm-hmm. I think it's just realizing like we're all just people, but obviously like you look up to these people when you grow up and you look up to the coaching, the coaching staff and, you know, the players that they coach. So, um, you know, I think it's normal to have those moments of nerves. Um, that's what everyone's telling me. Just allow yourself to have the nerves. But then at the end of the day, it's just a game of basketball and they're all normal people that love the game just as much as you do. So, um, yeah, just got to be myself. Your team opened the season at Indiana, who was a top five team in the country by the end of the year. How can you draw on that experience going into Saturday? Yeah, I think playing at Indiana was also a surreal experience because that's another team growing up. I went to all their games when I was younger. Um, and so I was a little starstruck as well. But um, once the game started, I didn't have any of those nerves. I just played the game. And I think that's the same mindset that I need to take while coming into this game. Um, I need to allow myself to kind of let the nerves out a little bit, like even in warmups a little bit, just take it all in. But then like once the ref throws the ball up in the air at the tip, like I just got to play. Your team has been the favorite every game it's played almost for the last two months. Now you're going to go in being a massive underdog. I got to imagine that's a little bit freeing, though, for your team to be able to play without the pressure you've played with for the last several months. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely, like, played against people that were the underdogs, and um, they were, you know, we were telling ourselves, like, they have nothing to lose, and that's the most dangerous team to almost play against sometimes. And so, I mean, I, I assume that that's probably what – you know, Gino's telling his players too, like, you know, this team's riding on a lot of confidence and they're an underdog team and no one's expecting them to win, really. I mean, obviously UConn's a March Madness team for sure that always does well once it's March. Um, so, you know, that's probably what's being said, but I love it. I love being an underdog. Um, I love playing with that little chip on my shoulder because honestly, it makes everything a bit more grittier. So, and that's the way I like to play, so... We saw a 15 seed last year on the men's side get to the Elite Eight. We see upsets routinely in the women's tournament. What's the formula? What's the recipe for a big upset? What do you guys need to do? I think the biggest uh, recipe is not letting the moment get too big. And, you know, they'll be a little bit taller. They'll be a little bit stronger, you know, maybe a little bit more efficient than we probably see in our conference. But um, if we want it more and we give it all we got, there's definitely a chance. Um, and I have no doubt in my mind that we can win that game if we give it our all. Um, so I think just believing in ourselves and trusting like what we've built. Um, I think when our offense and our defense is on, we're a very, very dangerous team, no matter who we play. Um, so I think just not, you know, being starstruck by who we're playing and just treating them like every other opponent. I think we could really be dangerous. UVM women's basketball standout Emma Otterback with us here on the Brady Farkas show on this Tuesday on WDEV. The conference final was unlike any game that I've ever seen uh, in college basketball, 38 to 36. I have to imagine you haven't played in a game like that since high school, probably, but yeah. you had 18 points. How were you able to be the one who broke through and have a good day offensively? Well, I mean, I want to think, 
Kat Gilwee as well because um, she knows how much I like to run in transition. And as a point guard, understanding that about your wing players and chucking that ball up there so I can run it down. I mean, our transition game was working and she realized that. And so she kept throwing it to me. But also, you know, our team defense was leading to my transition buckets. I feel like I think all my buckets were in transition except like the fouls that I got um, and where I went to the line. But um, the ability for, you know, Bella Vito to get her hands in there and then she get a little tip and then I'm able to get the steal. You know, I'm not able to do it alone. It's every single one of us. So um, I know it like it looks like, you know, I had the 18 points or whatever, but it was because of every single one of my teammates that uh, helped me get that. Um, so I couldn't have done it without them. We talked a lot yesterday about the men's team and their you know, how hard it is to maintain success. But we also talked about your team and how hard it is to climb the mountain for the first time and how hard it is to build success. What does it mean to you to be a part of that group that has officially changed the culture and climbed the mountain? I mean, I think that my class, especially coming in, that was something that, you know, we told ourselves at the end of our time here, like that is our goal. Like we are going to help turn around this program. So um, it it didn't really come as a surprise to me when when everyone's bought in. And I think this this team this year is every single person, all 15 of us were extremely bought in um, and doing our roles to the best of our ability. And when every single person and the coaching staff is bought in, you're going to have a very successful team uh, with a really good culture. And, you know, it was really tough. And some of those games where, you know, we were expected to win, um, it was really tough to not, like, give up those games and let these teams come in with nothing to lose and, you know, pull out those wins. And some of those were the kind of the dirtiest, toughest wins that we had. But it really showed our mental toughness and our mental growth, where I feel like in years prior, we would have just not come prepared or maybe came, you know, thinking that we got it in the bag and then a team, you know, takes advantage of that. But I feel like we showed up to every single game knowing that every single team is going to give us their all and still trusting what we can bring to the table, even if our offensive game isn't coming to us. Um, we had a lot of confidence in our uh, our defense and what Cress has taught us. So um, I think we had a lot more trust in each other this year, and that really showed in our success. You talked last week about your commitment to UVM and your first meeting with Elisa Kresge and with the staff. What was the vision that she sold you on? The vision that she sold me on was you get to come in here and you get to help turn around a program and I'm going to have high expectations for you, but I feel like, you know, I trust you to take it on and I think that you're going to enjoy the challenge. Um, But I definitely see you coming in and being one of the people that helped turn around this program. And I think that she said the same thing to Delaney as well. And that was something that me and Delaney like really liked about this program that they put a lot of trust on us since the beginning and you know they allowed us to make mistakes and work through them and grow and I don't think that we would be where we are today if we weren't allowed to kind of work through some of those mistakes when we were freshmen Um, and there were a lot of growing pains but uh, you know I'm really glad that I was able to come into a program where there's a lot of trust and expectation that you know me and the people that I came in with could help turn around this program that we could actually do it. Let's end it on a little rapid fire as usual. Emma, does anybody on this roster beat you in a straight line sprint baseline to baseline? <laughs> no, I don't want to like come across like that, but probably not. All right. That's all right. Aaron Deloney said no one beats him in a three point shooting contest. So you're allowed, <laughs> you're allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> Best player you ever played against, not in college, high school, AAU, best player you ever played against? 
Oh, that's a tough one. I played against a lot of talent in high school. Probably Amy Dilk, who's now in Michigan. Um, also, maybe Shayla Beeler that plays at Xavier now. Okay. You grew up an Indiana fan. Considering you also play Division One hoops, do you still wear Indiana gear and root for Indiana when not playing them? Yes. Okay. I'm a big a fan of Indiana women's basketball. <laughs> In a three-point shooting contest, 10 shots, top of the key. You or Coach Kresge? Oh, oh, oh gosh. Well, me and Kres, we will say that three-point shooting is not our best suit. <laughs> so I don't know. Kress in her prime and me in my prime, I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to uh, maybe wait until the end of the season and get that one officially settled. <laughs> Emma Hunter back. The game is Saturday at 3 in Storrs, Connecticut. 15-seeded Catamounts against the Huskies. Emma, best of luck. It's been fun to watch your team to this point. We'll look forward to watching on Saturday. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm Otter back there, the leader of the UVM women's basketball team, and they'll go into stores on uh, on Saturday afternoon at 3. They're going to have an extremely tough task, right? Like th- We know that. UConn is not only a 2 seed. UVM is not only a 15. U- UConn is the program. I mean, Emma Utterback says right there, like it's going to be hard not to be starstruck. How, how, could it, how could you not be starstruck? If you grow up playing basketball and you're a woman and you're a female how can UConn not be the program that you look up to right Pat Summit maybe a little bit at Tennessee but for this group of players they're probably a little too young to have really worshipped Pat Summit's work they're too young to have worshipped LSU's this group Notre Dame women's basketball and UConn and that's it and, you know, now South Carolina, Maryland, like there are some good programs, but like UConn is it. How do you not walk in there and be and be awestruck? Now, UVM is going to have the ability to play free. They are going to have no pressure, but it's going to be an extremely uphill battle. It's going to be a much more uphill battle, I think, for them than the men. That's And that's just the reality, given that the men, you know, they're, you're playing UConn. You're coaching against Geno. You're playing against Geno. It's going to be very difficult. That said, I do think this team has a couple of things that are going to work in their favor. One, UVM is one of the top defensive teams in the country. That is very, very, like, that is true. Some of the best metrics defensively. And then UVM has a very good five starters. If they can stay out of foul trouble and stay on the floor, those five starters... I, I would take that group of five to give a program like UConn a game. Does it mean they win? No, I would say no. But that five, if they're all on the floor, Gilwe, Vito, Utterback, Richardson, and Olsen, they can they can create some stuff, right? And all you need is a chance. So, yeah, the odds are against them, but... Um, there's always a chance, and we'll still root for him anyway. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We are brought to you by Fecto Homes. Something Emma Utterbeck said just tipped me off to another thought that I have. I'm going to tell you what that was next. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up in about 10 minutes from now. So we'll get George in here on this snowy uh, Tuesday, Pie Day, March 14th. Something Emma Utterback said in our interview tipped off a thought that I have held long foundational to me. I asked Emma Utterback why she committed to UVM and what the vision that Elisa Kresge sold her on was. The vision that she sold me on was you get to come in here and you get to help turn around a program and I'm going to have high expectations for you, but I feel like, you know, I trust you to take it on and I think that you're going to enjoy the challenge. Um, But I definitely see you coming in and being one of the people that helped turn around this program. Utterback says, I was sold on a vision that I could be one of the people that turns this program around. As I have said forever, every school has a recruiting hook. I am so tired of hearing people say, oh, you can't win there. Oh, you can't recruit there. Oh, kids won't go there. Every school has a hook. You just have to have a coaching staff that can find what it is. That's it. The name of college sports is recruiting. Every school has a hook. You just need a coaching staff that can find it, can exploit it, and can find a way to do it over and over and over again. Sometimes the hook is come play for a national championship. Sometimes the hook is you can go pro if you come here. Sometimes the hook is come play in front of our great fans or in our great arena or in our historic program. Sometimes it's easy. And sometimes the hook is, hey, you can be a foundational piece of this program's turnaround. And sometimes the hook is, hey, we'll give you a scholarship. No one else is. And sometimes the hook is as simple as, hey, you can you can make our team here when you couldn't. Maybe it's we've got the major that you have or we've got a great nursing program or a great business program or a great broadcasting program. Every school has a hook. Maybe it's our school doesn't cost that much money, like the junior college that I worked at. Division one, Division two, II, Division three, junior college, every school has something. And I'm tired of hearing from people, you can't win there. You can't do this. Yes, you can. It can be done. Some places are more difficult. I get that. But every school has something. Find what it is and exploit it. Emma Utterback is a kid from Indiana, right? Indiana. She came 1,500 miles halfway across the country to come to Vermont, a place that's cold and hard to get to. Why? She was sold on the right things. That's how this is done. That's what recruiting is. So, you know, I was talking weeks ago about the decision to get rid of athletics at NVU Johnson and people say, ah, it's all right. No one will go there anyways. Every school has a hook. You just have to believe in it. You have to exploit it. And you have to be able to sell that vision to kids. Sometimes the vision, 
Sometimes the hook is cost. Sometimes the hook is opportunity. Sometimes the hook is legacy. Sometimes the hook is the ability to go pro. But there's always a hook. Right? Look at Norwich. Look at Norwich hockey. Cam Ellsworth goes into people's living rooms and has to sell them on a private senior military college in the middle of central Vermont. There's no nightlife in Northfield. There's hardly any restaurants in Northfield. It's expensive. And you're recruiting 98% of players that won't be a part of the Corps of Cadets, and they're in the minority of their school population. And you know what? They come anyways. Why? The hook? Historically great program. Coach that coached in Division One and has pro contacts. The ability to win a national championship. They've all got a hook. Is Castleton any great shakes geographically? Probably not. Affordable. Great facilities. Oh, all of a sudden now it sounds pretty good to a Vermont kid, doesn't it? Sounds pretty good to a kid out of state. So Emma Utterback just said right there, like, I was sold on this vision. Every school can have a vision. You just need somebody that can recognize it. Texter says, how about the education hook? Yeah, Steve, we did that. Thank you. We mentioned it. Sometimes we've got a great nursing program, a great broadcasting program, a great journalism program, a great broadcasting program. You can get a great degree here. We're accredited in this. We've got agreements with this internship company or that company where our kids go or our frat. This frat guy is the president of that bank or CEO or whatever. So, yes, we mentioned academics. Go download the podcast. Jazz with George Thomas is next. I'll see you tomorrow. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes.